Daniel and Naomi, Ohio. So we have a out-of-state uh, collection of visitors here. And uh, before we get started, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Jeremy, uh, would you uh, lead us in a prayer, and then we'll get started. Amen. Competitive sports, that's the title of my message. I have three points, and after those three points, give some history of sports, which I got uh, much of it from the book entitled Question of Sports, put out by Rod and Staff, which I thought was interesting. They never gave an, they didn't give an author behind it, but they did a real nice job uh, giving an overview it was a book that if I had read as a teenager, I really would have benefited. It would have spoke to me. A lot of, a lot of the quotations and examples are from the 1990s, uh, a time period that I was really into sports, so didn't have access to it. But nonetheless, um, in a way, I hope this, uh, this uh, book doesn't really pertain to you because then you wouldn't be so into sports like I was, obsessed with uh, watching and playing uh, competitive sports. So let's get started on this, and we're just, we're just going to look at um, three points here. I say just, but it, it is they are big points, and uh, I want to say this with the uh, important disclaimer. Please take note of this. You're going to hear this from a person who uh, once idolized sports, so it would be uh, good to note that I have biases, I have prejudices, I have... Um, tendencies to be extremists on things. Nonetheless, we will uh, look at this topic here. The first point I wrote down, brothers and sisters, that is this, and I wrote it as this point. The more competitive we are, the greater likelihood we want to win, <laughs> which can be a form of pride. I say can be. It doesn't have to be, but uh, if you're like me, it can very much the case be. And it doesn't really matter what the sport is. Um, it is true, though, that the more aggressive uh, a sport would be, the, the greater chance you would be competitive. And why is that important? Because, number one, the golden rule that Jesus preached, uh, which other uh, religious figures also said a similar thing, although they would say it in the negative, and you've probably all heard of the golden rule. It's golden because it's so good. That is, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, I'm paraphrasing that. Well, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you also unto them, I think is, is the King James rendering. And other figures have said it, but more in the negative, like whatever you don't want people to do to you, don't do it in return. And why is that important? <laughs> in regards to sports, well, if you're too aggressive, if you're too competitive, and I, and I emphasize the word too because this is a, is a spectrum of, a spectrum here then you're not uh, abiding by the golden rule. Uh, in other words, if you want someone's best interest, be careful as you pursue a game, uh, playing, uh, be careful in your competition that you aren't trying to um, win so badly so as the other one can be the loser. <laughs> and that's, this is sort of the, um, 
the uh, tension, if you will, at least for me, I'm not saying it has to be true for all, every one of you, but a tension that I, I have faced is um, I really want to win this contest, whether it be a game of baseball, whether it be uh, ping pong, it can be a board game, it can be lots of different comp uh, contests, and such a great desire I might have not to lose that I forget about the other person who has the same desire too. But the tension is we can't both win. It might be called, it might be what you call a zero-sum game. And by the way, I just want, I want to throw this out here as I'm, as I'm thinking through this uh, issue with you. Um, not many things in life are, like, are that way. Did you, did you know that? Uh, even economics is not like that. Uh, in fact, a whole system of philosophy which has brought millions of uh, dead people, communism, is built on this philosophy that life is a zero-sum game. There's winners and there's losers. If you got a rich person here, that meant he got it at the expense of a poor person. And it's actually just not true. Um, capitalism and the free enterprise are about uh, working together, cooperation. I say that because uh, in competitive sports, uh, probably the closest analogy would be military conquest, where two sides are going at it in a battlefield, and, and there's going to be a winner and a loser. And that, this is, of course, a lot greater uh, stakes because there's, there's death. Whereas in sports, uh, for the most part, uh, the games are not uh, meant to uh, inflict injury, although I am going to mention a few others I think uh, are borderline suspect. Okay, I just want to bring it out that uh, the more competitive we get, the more we want to win. Well, wait a minute, brother, uh, I like to win. Isn't that the point of going to play a game, whether it be volleyball, whether it be ping pong, whether it be spike ball, whether it be baseball, whether it be uh, ticket to ride, playing a board game, uh, Monopoly? Is it the whole point to win? Otherwise, why would you even do it? And that's a, it's a good point. But some of us need to uh, tone it down, if you will, and keep in mind the golden rule. And so just like um, if you win or lose, you would at least like the other person to have a gracious attitude, wouldn't you? I mean, how many of us dislike it when somebody gloats their victory? I'm with you there, too. I don't like it. <laughs> it, it, is, it, it can be a way of provoking. So at, at the very least... When you play a game with your family and friends, uh, keep in mind that to the degree that you lose or win, you would like the other person to lose with graciousness, and that's a hard thing to do. And if you win, uh, being gracious, it can be a way of uh, abiding by the golden rule, if nothing else. It's okay to, I think it's okay to uh, play a game wanting to win. Um, this is interesting because I'm very competitive, but my parents would be uh, more non-competitive in that regard, and I really appreciate their uh, emphasis. Like one of the sayings, my mother—it was a good saying. She said, "This you should just be a winner in Jesus." And I remember one of my brothers in, in regards to uh, playing a game. I remember one of my brothers. So, I want, well, I want to win twice because I want to win the actual game, and I can be a winner in Jesus. So I can win doubly. He he was thinking that he could win double the. But my mom's point was that. Your attitude is really more important. Now, it is true when we play a game, we're not really obsessed with sportsmanship. We're more into the, um, the fact of winning often. Still good to keep in mind. The golden rule as we look at games, sports. My second point on this, uh, this issue of the, okay, of the same point I'm dealing with, I got, I got A, B, and C, D. A, B, C, and D are the first point, if that makes sense. All right. Uh, God wants us to esteem others better than ourselves. We've heard this quite a bit, actually, in our own church group, uh, Philippians. 
Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than ourselves. That's a tough challenge, but we can do it. We can do it in games, too. I, I'm confident we can, but we've got to keep in mind that in the heat of the moment, we might lose sight of that. Well, how is that? Because I have seen it firsthand myself. Um, maybe you've never done it, but I've literally thrown a football on the ground in anger because uh, the opposing team scored a touchdown. You might say, why would you get so upset? Why would you throw a ball? Uh, I'm just going to do it like this. I took it and I just, ah! And pent-up aggression. Now, I shouldn't blame the sporting. It was football it was when we were in our teenage years. But nor should I blame the, um, the fact that if I was a professional, I might do the same thing. If I can make this appeal to, to all of us, that it's not just um, the fact that professional athletes lose it or fans lose it. By the way, I went to a football game at, at University of Missouri watching the game really happy because you know what was happening? There was uh, probably about 50,000 people jubilant, elated, almost you could say euphoric. What was it over? Was it the return of Jesus coming? No, no, something more exciting. I'm ashamed to say it. I was, I was sharing in the excitement, and that was just simply this, Missouri beat Nebraska. Now, isn't that wonderfully exciting, and it's humorous to us, but we have to keep in mind the context of uh, competitive sports, um, how much time you devote, how much uh, emotion you spend to be gratified with a victory over a, hated, a heated rival. I shouldn't say hated, but maybe that's for some people. Why was that important? Because Nebraska, for years and years and years and years, beat the football team. And wow, this is, this is revenge, because uh, finally Mizzou can get the, get the upper hand. And fans, uh, I think some fans, I'm not sure if some fans went on the field, but after it was over, I was actually embarrassed at what some of these uh, Mizzou fans did they marched through the street, it might have been a few hundred, and chanting, uh, really a cursing of Nebraska, the, the team Nebraska. This would have been like 2006 or 2005, I'm not for positive, but hey, I was one of those fans excited for it too, and so were thousands of others. And you might say, why would you do that? Why would you uh, be so zealous about one state over another state? Doesn't everybody in Nebraska want to win? Of course. Doesn't everybody in Missouri want to win? Of course. But it just goes to show how competitive people can be. And when we ramp up the, the, uh, the stakes, it doesn't really matter because you can be just as competitive, I, I would say, uh, playing a game like ping pong. I've had similar emotions of elation at ping pong as I have for Mizzou winning the uh, game against Nebraska or, or a uh, Super Bowl game. And keep in mind, these athletes, they can be brought to tears. I, I've been in tears over a team losing. It seems ridiculous. But it's not so much when we think about, and I was just pondering this this morning. The bottom line, I, I would say, is, is more reflective of me than it is sports. But I'm going to still... Um, still respect, if we get to it, the history of Christians' response to sports. I think they have some good points for us to take heed. But nonetheless, it became clear to me it reflects an immaturity in my life of 
of pride, anger, impatience, selfishness. And I'm going to give you a current example. that It, it was a revelation to me, uh, if nothing else. Um, a few days ago, we went biking on the Katy Trail. Uh, two families, my family and AJ and Esther. A, a really nice uh, a scenic, I mean, it, it was uh, a little cool, cloudy, but really uh, quiet, serene, beautiful fall colors. And anyways, near the end, uh, we decided that AJ and I were going to bike back because one of the bikes broke down. And that was that. I was uh, calm, cool, collected. And I see my brother-in-law streak down there with his bike. He didn't say he was racing, but I took that as a challenge. He's, he's racing down there. I think I could catch up to him because, after all, I'm a good athlete. Keep in mind, I did not plan this affair. I didn't wake up this, that morning thinking, I'm going to be obsessed over my brother-in-law out biking me. But it, it surprised me how fiercely competitive I felt. And no one saw me. It wasn't like I was uh, shouting. But as he, he stayed further ahead of me, I, I started rationalizing. You know, he's faster than me because he had a head start. And he probably has a better bike than I do. Yeah, that's what it is. But then I thought, wait a minute. I should be a little closer than this, even if he had a, a head start. And I, I was really tired of myself. I, I exerted a bunch of uh, energy. And I was actually disappointed that he beat me so badly, so to speak. We got there. And as I, I was studying this uh, topic, uh, it occurred to me that I'm pretty immature. But I want to do better. That's why there is uh, always hope in Christianity. We can always do better. But uh, it, was, it was an insightful moment that Whatever I think about sports, whatever my history was, I still have a tendency to be immature, uh, prideful, and selfish. Okay, moving on. We were, we're looking at the first point of the more competitive we get, the more we want to win, which is, or I should say can be, prideful. I put is for me many times. Uh, so I talked about Jesus wants to live, us to live by the golden rule. God wants us to esteem others better than ourselves. That's in the book of Philippians, uh, meaning that I should act. Uh, okay, I want to I say this point about uh, that afternoon with AJ. I did feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Josh, does it really matter if he wins? Who cares? And I felt like God was uh, challenging me in that regard, that if somebody does better than you, be happy for him. That can help you. It's sort of like when you get angry, count to ten. After you counted to 10, you might just uh, feel a little better. I like what uh, Brother Leon shared in the discipleship class uh, a few days ago. and it, it, was, it was a good statement I think we can apply to in many areas, not just to gossip, but in competitive sports, is that think before you think. Um, my emotion was like, oh, no, he, he's going to beat me. But later I reflected, and this is good about reflection, uh, for next time. <laughs> Be prepared next time. Realize, if somebody beats you, does it really matter? Um, can you be happy that they did well? Uh, think before you think about things. Like when you get into the heat of the moment of competition, uh, I've been telling myself, like when we play a game, hey, there's an 80% chance I'm going to lose. Why is that important? Because there's an 80% chance you're going to have to bite the bullet and smile and say, good game. Still, there's something in me that I wanted to really win that last baseball game, and it was hard to uh, be a good sport. But this message is, uh, if nothing else, brothers and sisters, it's been uh, good for me. 
And if you can take something good out of it, if nothing else, prevent uh, the tendency to be a bad sport. Because God looks at the attitude of the heart. I don't think he really cared who won Mizzou, Nebraska, but he saw 50,000 Missourians uh, get very excited. Not all of them had bad attitudes, of course, but several hundred students had some uh, prideful, mean attitudes towards another state. Point C out of point one. God wants us to be humble, not proud. Sports competition often feeds vanity and pride. Um, lost my train of thought. Uh, well, I think this is this is a just a thing worth noting that in Christianity, God. Uh, you know, the, this a big theme in Christianity is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. I bring this out because there are Christian athletes that are, are real big into winning. Uh, one, of the, one of the things about is of, of uh, professional sports is uh, highlighting a Christian, a Christian athlete who's a winner, too. He's not, he's not just a, a poor player, but he's a winner. But I think they need to be careful uh, promoting uh, this idea of, of winning to, to the exclusion of, of a proper <laughs> dosage of humility. Um, and this is where, again, some of us, we just fall into the thing of winning is so important. And yet, isn't humility more practice when you lose? Jesus says, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. Jesus is very countercultural to competitive sports and sports in general in, in some respects. I'm not saying Jesus uh, never played a game. Maybe he, ne- maybe he never did. Maybe he did. I, I, I don't know. It would be an interesting thing to think about, it, uh, to ask Jesus, how, how competitive were you, Jesus? But he had the perfect balance, of course. Uh, why would that be important? It would be nice to know how he did respond to losing if he did lose in a game. Uh, we're supposed to be like Jesus. We want to be a winner in Jesus, right? And so... Uh, how would Jesus have responded? Well, we don't have it, that exact thing, but Jesus was meek and lowly. He put others first. This is Paul's point in the Philippians, by the way. He had the mindset that we need to copy. But what if I copy uh, David Robinson, a basketball player, who was a Christian? What if I copy, well, in so, so, insofar as they have a good um, attitude, uh, a good a good. Uh, um, a good response when they lose. And I think there were, there were different coaches and players. You could say that they, they didn't get upset and they didn't get so competitive and some not so good. Um, I think that um, the way of Christianity is, is a way of humility. Uh, the upside down kingdom that David Berceau talks about is, and this is the idea that uh, really the strength through meekness, strength through service, strength through humility. And in sports, uh, at least as, as you, the more you get into it, it's uh, really a heavy emphasis on winning. Shouldn't surprise us, though. All right, moving along. We went to point one, and now we're looking at point two. I'm not wanting to contradict point one, but I'm just going to note some things about the New Testament that I was studying this week. The New Testament does encourage us to win the race of life. The New Testament does encourage us to win the race of life. And this sec- this point here, we're going to look at some verses. So if you have your Bible out, I do want you to look up verses that deal with 
comp, a running, racing, competition, because they are in there. That is really the case. Uh, they are in there, and we can uh, take note of them. And our first one would be in 1 Corinthians 9. So I just tr- try to arrange this uh, chronologically in the Bible, not necessarily uh, topically, but we will go through it. Uh, just 1 Corinthians um, 9. So get your Bibles out. Please look, look it up. And please note, too, there are greater contexts to these uh, individual passages. But for the sake of time, we won't go through all of them. Oh, yes, by the way, before we get to that passage, in earlier in 1 Corinthians, uh, this is interesting, not quite a sports reference, but a reference possibly to the Gladiator Games where Paul says this in chapter 4, verse 9. You don't have to turn there. Paul says, For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. Wow, is that ever true? I wonder if he spoke prophetically how Christians were in the arena to be uh, killed or maimed, uh, facing death by torture, by uh, death from beasts and men. So I wonder if Paul uh, maybe spoke prophetically there, but he, he was also facing, uh, he mentions fighting beasts at Ephesus, so I wondered if Paul himself had to face some uh, ordeal by, by a spectacle. I don't, I don't know, but he, he makes this interesting point. I think it is a, a possible reference to uh, the fact that Christians were the uh, victims of spectator sports. Maybe in the future that will, be, that will be something that will happen to Christians. Who knows? But I just wanted to point that out. But anyway, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 9 and looking through here, which let's see where to start at. Uh, let's start at verse 22. In quick context is that um, Paul is, is, is arguing that he has some authority, but he's... he's Use his self-control. He, he has a, something more important in mind, that is to uh, win many more people to Christ. And so it's interesting how what he says here in a ra- about a race is in the context of, of a, really a call to uh, control your freedom. You have some freedom, but control it for the greater good of your brother. And so even in this context, he's really making an appeal to thinking about other people, not just about yourself. Okay, in verse 22, this is what Paul says. Let, let's just see what he says about the races, and I'm, I'm going to quote too later uh, Adam Clark's comment from Epictetus, an ancient uh, Roman, I think, possibly a Greek, I don't know if a positive, but for, okay, let's look at this first, then I'll give that quotation. And here's what Paul says. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. So not only is there a reference to racing, but fighting. 
Verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Quotation here from Adam Clark's commentary. He quotes from Epictetus. And Adam Clark says that Paul and the Corinthians would have understood the Isthmus games. Isthmus was a strip of land in Greece. Maybe some of you have been there. The, Pel was it the Peloponnesian Peninsula. Anyways, they had every five years games similar to the Olympic games. And um, probably the Corinthians under would have understood what Paul was referring to, how much dedication these men would have had. And here's what Epictetus says, quoted in Adam Clark. Do you wish to gain the prize at the Olympic Games? Consider the requisite preparations and the consequences you must observe. Okay. You must observe a strict regimen. You must live on food which you dislike. You must abstain from all delicacies. You must exercise yourself at the necessary and prescribed times, both in heat and cold. You must drink nothing cooling. Take no wine, as formerly. In a word, you must put yourself under the direction of a pugilist, as you would under that of a physician. And afterwards, enter the lists. Here you may get your arm broken, your foot put out of joint, be obliged to swallow mouthfuls of dust to receive many stripes, and after all, be conquered. And Adam Clark says, all this was done to get a wreath of olives that would soon wither. As soon as it was cut off, it would wither. But I uh, remember a uh, professor talking about just the honors that did come. Beside all that, there was uh, much acclaim, much honor given to the athlete who could perform well and win these competitions, uh, a race included. There was other con contests as well, but uh, it brought great honor to your family, uh, great prestige. Uh, you, I think, you had lifelong Im uh, immunity from taxation, all these different uh, things. And um, Paul says, they do all this for um, a corruptible thing. How much more so are, are we needing to run for an incorruptible crown? I think this is important because uh, this is where brothers and sisters, great faith is required. It almost seems to me we're more excited about, we live in the flesh, about money, nice houses, nice cars, nice stuff, which is all just metal, wooden, plastic, if you think about it. But the crown that doesn't perish, it's hard to get a hold of that. It's hard to be excited about it. Why do I say it? Because I think it's not as tangible. Unless we get too hard on the ancients who are idol worshipers, let's keep in mind that we ourselves can be pretty sucked into wood, metal, plastic, and rubber. And then when you're dead, all that stuff means nothing. Isn't that something? Just uh, I saw that there was a famous, uh, there was an actor who, I just read he died. It was, it was surprising to me how often I find myself wondering, oh, these, 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 uh, I'm sorry, they're not an act. I'm transitioning over to a movie actor, but celebrities that die. It's almost like for me, they're not supposed to die. They're dead. It's over. All the money they made, and it's true for you and me, all the money we accumulated, it, it, it were, <laughs> speaking of death, great illustration there. It's over. All, all the stuff we got and all our passions. 
And when it's all said and done, relationships, uh, the good we did to others is what's going to count. And there's going to be a crown that we get to face or be regretting that we didn't do more for it. And so this is, this is a great point Paul is making. So while he's not like condemning the, the races, he is really uh, calling us to a higher thing and just saying, how, look how much these guys uh, train for this. Um, how many hours? Uh, I remember the, uh, <laughs> there was a great contest between Michael Johnson, the American, the Canadian, Donovan Osborne is the, uh, I think, mid-90s. One guy was a Canadian, one guy was an American. Oh, this is, this is rivalry now, America versus Canada. It was because these were Olympic athletes, and they did a special race. I don't know how much money they got. Who knows how many hours they trained, but uh, in, the, in the race, the Canadian won, and I was super disappointed. But that's just for some cash. You might say, well, it's just for cash. It's a lot of cash. It's true, but um, when Michael Johnson is dead, when Donovan Osborne is dead. I don't know if these men are still alive, actually, but what did it amount to? Contrast that to a Christian who's plodding along, doing a bunch of good deeds, and no one, uh, many of them don't go noticed. It can be maybe uninspiring to uh, work faithfully at a job and not complain, to love your family, do, all the, uh, do secretly good deeds. Yes, it's true. That's why we need to take Paul's uh, point here very seriously. And, and we can look around us in, in our culture, which is, which is obsessed off with sports, like they would have been back then, and say, hey, they did it for a, a wreath that fades away, money that fades away. Your house is going to one day rot. I mean, it might take a longer time for a mansion, but one day it's all going to be gone, and what's going to last is what you did for Jesus Christ, what you did for good, the good of others. I was challenged with that passage in particular, and let's continue to move on here. Uh, we're, we're not finished yet. We've got some more. Let's look at Philippians 2.16. Get your Bibles, or keep your Bibles out and go, to, go forward to Philippians 2.16. In, in a letter that Paul liked to rejoice over. Remember a few weeks ago I talked about the importance, the, the, the blessing of being uh, glad and rejoicing. Here's what Paul says to his Philippian brothers. Holding forth the word of life, what, what, to what end? That I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Reference to a race. Because in a race you start out and you've got to get to the finish line. Might be 100 meters, might be 1,000 meters, might be 3 miles. The point is to get to there and to be the first one. And Paul likens this to his, to his, his not Corinthian, Philippian brothers here. And then the next chapter later, chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, if you have that there, look what it says here. I, this is, this is the Apostle Paul. <laughs> In the book I was reading on competitive sports, they, they had some Christian sign. Paul, was a, he was a competitive, he was a competitor, he was a sports enthusiast. I think they're missing the point that Paul is making about his desire, but it is still true though, he desired to win something. I think Christians do need to recognize you, you do need to win. Brothers and sisters, we are in a, in a game of, we, not a game, we are in a battle of, of life. And Paul, Paul knew it, but he wasn't saying, therefore, go out and play uh, 20 hours of golf, 10 hours of swimming, 5 hours of baseball, 1,000 hours a year on professional, no, he didn't say all that, but 
You can see how we can run with that and take it to an extreme. Anyways, what does he say here? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And not only that, but let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. You mean to tell me I'm supposed to go for a prize? Absolutely. But I tell you, it's hard to think in the day-to-day -day of if I uh, do another good deed, I'll get a bigger prize. But we need to think that way. It's not because Josh says it, because Paul the Apostle, and, and through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he says it. And it's good for us to take note of it. I don't know about you, but it encourages me when I think God's going to give me an extra reward for doing something good. Oh, Josh, you, you're, you're motivated by that candy bar, aren't you? Yes. Aren't you? Do you just work for free, by the way? Do you work a job uh, day in, day out, and just say, no, I don't want the paycheck. I was just glad for the intrinsic value of exercise. Don't give me the paycheck. How many of us do that? No. Paul is not uh, anti-desire, but he's, he's saying have a even greater desire to do some good deeds. And... Um, God gives us the perfect balance. Like if God gave us everything, uh, if everything was so crass, like, um, you know, if you help the old lady cross the street, if you visit an, an elderly person in a nursing home, you get $5,000 in the bank right, right away. If, if the reward was too crass, uh, we would we'd be doing it for the wrong reasons, right? But if we had no reward, God would not be holding out the, the blessing of doing something right. In other words, if, if in this life only, Paul says, uh, all the good stuff you do, when you die, it's over. Paul says, we of all men are most miserable. And that's what atheists essentially tell you. Hey, you could do good, and when you're dead, it means nothing. Now cheer up, because you don't need God to be good. Now I'm supposed to be cheering up by that depressing thought? <laughs> Rather, in Christianity, we have, I love this, really a great illustration. Death ain't over, folks. There, there's more to life than just death. I don't understand why, how that all works, but somehow there's an enemy and there's God and, and God's going to, he's going to win and that enemy's going to be destroyed one day, but you've got to be on God's side because if you aren't, you're going to end up in hell. All right, moving on here. We're, we're looking at passages that talk about the race of life. We looked at Philippians here. Let's also turn to uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. I'm just going to go right there and then get to 2 Timothy because I think Hebrews reiterates what Paul is saying in Philippians whoever the author of Hebrews was. So please turn with me to Hebrews. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And by the way, in the Old Testament, very little is said. Uh, I think there's a reference to swimming and, and children playing in the streets, but not much about sports in the Old Testament. New Testament is different, but, but a common theme, though, of humility and loving other people you know all that. Okay, look, look, we're in uh, chapter 12. Let's see here. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, did you catch that, everybody, uh, the race in verse 1? Um, good for all of us. For, for, you, for those of you out there who aren't competitive and those of us that are competitive, those of you that are fun-loving, like love playing games, those of you a little more serious, it's okay, there's different personalities in, in some of this. But we are, we are running a race, aren't we? So we're supposed to encourage each other on. And um, 
I don't think I have to give you uh, like a, a synopsis of uh, famous athletes to tell you that they had to really train. They had to be uh, obsessed. Like this wasn't this wasn't racing, but like Muhammad Ali, the famous boxer. They said as much as flamboyant he was, this man was was obsessed with training. They actually have to be to to be the top. He was uh, one of the top boxers uh, in the 60s, 70s. But they said if you knew him well, he, he was up middle of the night. It, it just, all I could think about was. Uh, Staying physically fit, boxing, and being being uh, trim, training, and uh, athletes have to really—I don't want to say maybe I should say—be obsessed with the concept of training, as dedicating their lives. And so I think as Christians we can take note of that. While we don't need to, you know, physically, uh, bodily training has some value, but it, but it's much more important to train to be godly. That just startles us. <laughs> Because it doesn't come naturally. You mean, brother, I, I've got the faith of Jesus Christ. Uh, I have the piety, don't I? I think New Testament says, no, you don't. You've got to cultivate it. You have to engage uh, the brain, the will, the mind, the emotions. And guess what? Your body's lazy. And guess what? The world doesn't really care about Jesus' ideals. And guess what? Satan doesn't want you to be zealous for good works. And guess what? If you start getting too obsessed in ministry, guess what will happen? Christians will call you legalistic. Which, by the way, I think we're going to run out of time. Um, this can kind of summarize what often Christians uh, who have set, um, if I can use the word, uh, have, have uh, set about revivals and, and revolutions. I, I get the impression these were very, um, <laughs> very uh, hard, uh, what's, what's the word, uh, very much into uh, subduing and subjecting the body, very serious into... Uh, not having so much fun because they had a greater cause. Now, we should learn from them. I'm not saying to uh, jump, on, jump on more with everything the Methodists did, everything the Mennonites did, but I am saying if you want to change history, we should probably borrow from them. I was re reading from, uh, by the way, what time did we start these messages? Does anybody know? What Was it 1120? 1110. 11, 10. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. Great. So we, this might have to be a part two, but uh, rabbit trail moment here. Uh, Thomas Sowell, an economist, makes this observation in the 1800s. He, his point is that we mustn't assume that life was always as good as it is right now. He said, he said imagine in the 1800s where uh, drunkenness was a humongous problem, debauchery, uh, bad uh, morals. It was a good reminder for me because I tend to think of the, the past as very romanticized and maybe they were such hardworking people. Even in America, in the West, in the Western world, uh, there was much uh, evil, but it was the Methodists who got the ball rolling and, and these, uh, what we call the Great Awakening. We tend to almost think, oh, yeah, they got into a bunch of emotions. No, it, Thomas Sowell, who I don't think is a Christian, made this point. They turned the thing around. Cultures can be turned around with, when there is a, a, re, a restraining of, the, uh, of gratification and, and uh, wicked impulses. It happened. And, and America probably needs another one. <laughs> uh, but it's difficult because the Christians, and I'm including myself, uh, we almost have an aversion to being too, um, too uh, sticklers for self-discipline. And so uh, let, that be, let that be a challenge for us. All right, that was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I, I think it kind of gets us in the mode of thinking racing is not all fun and games. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, it's, it is... Uh, it is really a subjecting the body. And
Okay, yes, we're, I'm trying to think where the verse is uh, bodily exercise profit little. Let's, let's go to those. Let's go to Timothy, and for the sake of time, we're going to have to just uh, skip the history sports part because I have a third point I want to make, and then we'll be done. All right, where you get your Bible. Uh, turn, please continue to look in the Bible with me. I want to... Uh, I really want uh, you to, to uh, meditate on these things and give me your feedback, too, on things that, hey, hey Josh, this verse says this, and all that. Okay, Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. That's what I was looking for. You're right. Okay. And notice, too, in this section, everybody, how... Paul is warning that in the last days there's going to be, you know, deceiving spirits. Uh, elsewhere, he talks about uh, the uh, lovers of pleasure more than, than uh, lovers of God. The the the, the end, kind of an end time falling is falling away, if you will. And um, and I apologize here. Okay, this is interesting. Uh, this works out good. First Timothy and Second Timothy four seven through eight both have points there on um, sports. Let's look at First Timothy first. I apologize. I, I wrote that. Down. I wrote down Second Timothy four seven through eight in both First and Second Timothy. Okay, so flip back a few pages. Sorry about that. Um, but both are in an interesting context here. Uh, so Paul and. Uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, says this, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Why is that? For, here's, here's the reason, it's, it's, it's so neat how the New Testament, there's so many uh, arguments made because of the way the Greek language is. I say this because this, because that, because this, because this, because this, for, for, for. Uh, it's a very rational, uh, reasoned uh, religion, Christianity in part because of the Greek language. Anyways, what's the reason, Paul? For bodily exercise profiteth little. Now, there's several ways you can look at that. You can look at it as a positive thing or really a negative thing. I think you can uh, go either way with that. But continuing on. But godliness, in contrast to that, godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Not only that, but this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Perhaps he's speaking about what he just said, or he's speaking about in the next phrase here. Uh, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that, all, that believe. These things command and teach. Okay, now flip down to 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 as well. A few pages over. He's talking to Timothy, his, his, uh, his friend, and he's giving instruction. These might be the most uh, relevant, um, uh, I should, let, me, let me just say this, uh, First and Second Timothy and Titus have much to say about Christian character. I'm not saying it's more relevant than others, but it, it is really uh, a great uh, section in the New Testament about developing godly character. All right, verse 7, Paul says what? I have fought a good fight. Well, back then, there was wrestling, there was boxing. Rough sports. I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, he doesn't say, henceforth, I'm just glad to get to heaven and be with God and, and sing his praises. 
which is important. I'm not knocking that, but what does Paul say? Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And so they would have been thinking about an uh, olive wreath, but a crown of righteousness. So there had to be some uh, incentive to uh, to the Corinthian um, to uh, to uh, um, Ephesians here. It's, it's for the Ephesians, but also Timothy. Hey, there there is much to be gained for getting honor. Don't knock it. Uh, the Bible speaks much of honor. We won't go into it, but men and women are to be men and women of honor. Proverbs 31 woman is supposed to be a woman of honor. Uh, a godly leader is supposed to be a man of honor. You are supposed to be a man of honor. You are supposed to be a woman of honor. We all are. I love how Brother Chester's uh, teachings uh, really were into integrity, being honorable, teaching your children not to lie, to tell the truth, to be uh, upright. Why is all that important? Because you're going to be honored or dishonored uh, in the afterlife. And God wants every one of us to be honored by doing what's right. Paul says, uh, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them also love his appearing. I think one of my heroes in history He's not a sports athlete, but he's a man named Telemachus. Was it the 5th century? There was a game, a gladiator game being played. Men were killing each other. Probably even professing Christians were at the game. Centuries of traditions of gladiator games, spectacles. And there's one monk who had enough of it. And Telemachus, in the, in the middle of this contest... Runs down. I don't know how many seats he was. And I'm not sure why he, if he was there to stop it or just wanted to go there to see whatever. I suspect he was there to stop it. Telemachus, one man. He's got, he, he was not a, a Patrick Mahomes who could throw a football. He was not an Ozzie Smith who can dive and catch balls uh, in the infield. He was not a Muhammad Ali who could box and beat somebody down with his fist. He was not a Dale Earnhardt who could, who could have raced faster than anybody. He was not a uh, what, Bruce Jenner, a, a famous swimmer. He was just a li- uh, common holy man, monk, probably we would call a legalist if we saw him. I, I say it smiling because uh, these people are very... Uh, probably very uh, rigid, more than we would like to be. All he did, brothers and sisters, was walk down that stadium. Rush out in the midst of probably two men stabbing each other or who, whatever they were doing. Maybe they were beasts. Did you know what he said? In the name of Christ, desist! That's all he said. The crowd must have hushed. Who's this madman to stop our games? Well, they did what the only reasonable thing is to do. Kill him! That's, the crowd has a sway, and somebody, some warrior or some slave 
took the weapon, thrust him through, and his life came to an end, bled to death. But you know what? There was, there was a silence. The man wasn't perhaps the most physically prowess man. All he did was have the courage to stop the games. In that situation, and, and perhaps legendary, perhaps very accurate. I, I'm not for positive, but the, the games soon ceased after that just to be a part of Western civilization, as we know. Why is that important? Because uh, one man with a passion to stop something, he's a hero in my book. And I love how we can uh, read the stories of martyrs and heroes to inspire us. Brothers and sisters, I often looked at sports athletes as heroes as a boy. Please don't do that. He goes, well, how'd you do that, Joshua? Well, uh, baseball cards, uh, images, going to ball games, a series of many, 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 many choices that led to me. And I, I'm sorry to say this because I think that uh, it's so rewarding that I'm part of a group with you that doesn't really come from that maybe mindset. If you have that temptation, you want me to hold you accountable? Come see me. I'll work with you because I've uh, failed in this area many t times. Even even as a man in my 40s, uh, it, it took, I, I'll say this, it took a stipulation that we shouldn't watch professional sports on video as a, as a sort of a rule for me to stop doing it. Because just was recently, maybe three, two, three years ago, I would watch sports highlights on YouTube. I watched the, foot, the uh, Super Bowl. After all, it was the Chiefs. Come on, it was the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, this is the team that I grew up uh, cheering for. It, in fact, it was, it, was, uh, it was because of them I would mourn if they lost to the Indianapolis Colts in a, uh, a cold game. I mean, if you would, they should have won and they lost 10 to 9 or they missed so many field goals. It was just so depressing. Was I depressed about lost souls going to hell? Joshua, how could you have been that way? I can tell you because a series of choices in which I cultivate an interest, and brothers and sisters, you can do it for anything. You can cultivate a passion for visiting old, decrepit Alzheimer's patients. That's not important, says who? And should you cultivate it? Absolutely. You should cultivate a, 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 a passion for ministry. You mean that, that I could be called a legalist? Absolutely. You could be like Telemachus, a holy man who was subjecting his body. I mean, these monks would like thrash themselves with, with thorns and briars because they had a lustful thought. Oh, that's, we can smile and, and almost be mocking at that. I, I say we. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at myself. I remember reading the, in history as a, as a, I thought, wow, these guys were hardcore. Now, it's not to justify everything they did, but to, to say that we should uplift people who change history as a way that the Moravians could change history, the Methodists, the Anabaptists changed history. The fact that there's even a, what, a First Amendment right, freedom of religion, uh, brought about by what Pennsylvania, uh, <laughs> you might say radicals to uh, religious freedom, that's a radical thought. Done by people who had, I would say, disciplined their bodies. We can do the same thing. Not, we don't know what uh, history has or what the future has for us or what, what will be said about us, but Paul's words here... Uh, should be taken with, with uh, great interest that we can 
do great things. We can get a crown. It's okay to want to win. But to what end? To win the crown of life, to, to win the battle for Jesus Christ. Okay, that was uh, the New Testament. Uh, I don't think I got through all of them because I think they're... Uh, Oh yeah, we, uh, weapons of war from that carnal, like uh, the the uh, the. Uh, let's see here. I oh yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't read this, this rest. Of this verse uh, in verse eight, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only. Oh, you mean only Paul, only Telemachus can be honored to the exclusion of everybody else? No. I'm happy for that. You mean only uh, the Cardinals can win the World Series? Yes, but hold on. Every Christian can win a far more important thing than the World Series. That's, that's the, the honor of having done good for Jesus Christ. Unto all them also that love his appearing. I don't know, I don't know how many times I've even wept for the, the joy that Jesus Christ has come back, but I have wept for a team losing. Uh, don't be lopsided like me, be, but be instead, uh, have a passion that you, you, you're just excited about Jesus Christ appearing and you want to be ready when he does come, that you, did, you gave it your all. You gave it your best. You were like uh, Muhammad Ali in the spiritual sense. You, you just thought and, and, and woke up. Uh, I was appreciative of a brother recently. I said, hey, when I wake up, I think about Jesus. Amen. That's great. You think about Jesus Christ? Uh, well, I, there's often times I'm thinking about uh, work. Uh, that's not my first thought. And he challenged me to think about Jesus more. So amen. We can strive, labor, persevere, and determine to overcome the real enemies of the world, the flesh and the devil. Um, okay, my final, th my final point. I'm skipping the history of sports. For now, uh, maybe I will do it some other time, but if you have an interest in history, check up a good uh, overview of uh, sports in the Western world. <laughs> if, okay, I'm gonna, final, I want to I give this uh, final thought because I want to give, um, give some perspective and practical suggestions as we look at it, because you, you might be thinking, Oh, you're saying every uh, every time I play a game where there's only a winner and a loser, uh, you're 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 outlawing that. I will say yes, I'm outlawing that if you can't have a good attitude in playing it. If you're a sore loser, you're a sore winner, then you shouldn't play. That doesn't mean you can't play. So here are some of the suggestions I wrote down to help us have good attitudes when we are playing. And I, I know I've switched gears here because I was talking about the uh, the game of life and the spiritual side of things, but few practical things, and then we're done. Four things. Frequently, uh, number one, frequently encourage one another when you are playing. Uh, one of your daughters did a good, real good job when she, at our church. She would say, come on, you can do it. Uh, playing, I remember well when we played ball games, uh, Tabio would, 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 would constantly, uh, would often encourage the, the players. Um, Jim's dad, uh, I, I Noticed him was he was encouraging my own dad. I really like encouraging people, and we need that when we play games, whether it be spike ball, volleyball, uh, whatever the game tag. Encourage each other. Is it hard to do? Yes, it is hard to do. You can do it. Point two: Find games slash activities. Uh, in addition, where there can only be one winner, find one where there can be all winners. 
Well, how in the world are you going to do that? Um, you are creative. You have you have sparks. You have you have uh, creativity, and that. Check it out. There, there's also opportunities where we can all uh, do well in activity, where we can all be happy. Now, I'm not saying uh, ignore um, competitive games altogether, but that can be a way to um, build team spirit, if you will. Um, like, for example, you know, we um, did work projects at the church, and you, you get to work together. It's great opportunities. Or you might. Uh, I'll go hiking together. You're all taking a bike. The young people are taking a bike trip here in a few days, right? Um, you can have some fun uh, having some just time together where you're, where you're all participants and you all can be winners. All right. Uh, next point, avoid being too aggressive, too intense, too tribal, i.e., my team is special more than yours. They even done uh, psychological studies where they, they noticed they, they took uh, young students and they were analyzing their behavior when they when they when they were uh, identifying with a team. Bottom line is that when you when you identify their team too much, you start to build an us first them mentality, like <laughs> pride. What else to say? But but pride and competitive like competitive attitudes. How you tend to, to view the other side as the enemy. And it's sad how I've done it many times. Well, Josh, change it. I agree. I want to change it. I'm just I'm just saying be be mindful of these attitudes you might harbor in your heart. When you play a game of baseball, oh yeah, we're going to beat that. That you all start start to think negatively of the other team. Um, try not to be so aggressive, and and also I think it's good to play with uh, different age groups, and um, also people with different skill levels because uh, you can remind yourself that it's not just about winning, but it's also about everybody having a good time. Because the more you uh, play with the same team. You, you build a brotherhood, and you might think, why is, that, why is that wrong? Because a brotherhood on a team, <laughs> I think uh, when you get into levels of competition, uh, the highest I ever went was church league softball or city league, or city league softball. We might smile like, oh, okay, what's the big deal if you won? But there's a brotherhood there. I dare say, I'm, I'm going to say my, uh, and I saw my own team, I saw bad attitudes of opposing, like a, like a guy in a church league get upset. He, somebody was in uh, a first baseman was away, knocked him over, and he got real upset. He, he was passionate. You're in my way! And I felt sorry for the first baseman. But I've also seen him one of my own teams. This is a city league where an offhanded comment turned into an actual literal fight that had to be broken up between two grown men. What, what, what was it? It was simply this. Uh, I think, I think it was simply this, but one of my teammates, a younger player, was, I think, the, the first of all, the, the boss of the, the sponsor it was playing first base. He was an older man. He didn't get to first base very quick all the time. And in other words, uh, he, he, wasn't fast, he wasn't as fast as he should have been in first base, but the other player, Todd, told uh, the other man, Chester, you don't know who this is. I'm, just, I'm using net first name so you remember the story better. You, don't, you won't have a clue who they are, but... Uh, Todd was uh, critiqued, I think, by Chester, and then Todd said, well, Chester, you also don't get to first base if you would play closer, and then things escalated majorly. All of a sudden, Chester's about ready to go after Todd, and they're, and they're uh, going at each other, and another player had it broke up, and by the time it was all said and done, they, they broke up, the, the fight was broken up, but my brother and I were on the team. We had people walk off the field that were so disturbed by it, and I, and I didn't know for sure who started but how sad that, in, in, even in a brotherhood aspect, the, the competition gets so intense because even among players, they get onto each other. So keep that in mind. 
Why do I say it? Because your own, you can have frustration at your own teammate because he didn't, he didn't do a job like he should have. You can have frustration at the opposing team because they're gloating, because they're winning. It makes you look bad. It is a real thing. It's not just in professional sports. I'm, I'm just saying as a, as a caution to us, it's also true. You mean even, even in like when we play a game? Absolutely. But it's also true that the, the burden of responsibility falls to each one of us to have good attitudes. So let's encourage each other. It's good to reflect, evaluate like what they do at the camps. How do we do? Do we have good attitudes? How do we enjoy it? Did we, did we find ourselves uh, making comments? Like, did we talk about somebody's going to strike out? Uh, all I know is I heard somebody, uh, you know, I even analyzed it. With, we had a situation where I was, people weren't obeying me in the first, first, as a coach, and I was getting so obsessed with uh, control there. We, we kind of had, had, had to evaluate uh, attitudes. And so when we play games, it's good to do that, to evaluate, to, to make sure we're not uh, being too intense, too, too tribal. My team's special more than yours. Oh, come on, that's childish. It is childish. Grown men do it too. Grown men fight for the, nation, the state of Missouri in killing other Missourians. When did that happen? How do you know that, Josh? 1860s. You mean they did? Yes, they fought simply on tribalism, if nothing else. Well, I'm for the south. Well, I'm for the north. In the same state, they are killing each other. Happens in Nigeria. Happens in, what, Asia. Rwanda, United States, all over the world. It's a universal problem of tribalism. Okay, just going to make some quick things about there are not all sports are equal. The more physical contact you have, you have watch out because the more likelihood you're to p use your aggression to hurt somebody. Oh, come on, Josh, that wouldn't be the case. Well, look at football as a case in point. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Last point is uh, in the moment of frustration when you lose or, or, or didn't succeed, ask yourself this. Why was winning this contest so important anyways? I'll leave you with that thought. Appreciate your attentiveness, and let's just go on for greatness. That prize is real, and, and we can do it. And I, I uh, so appreciate it. Many of you have, we have wonderful attitudes in playing. I'm just saying this uh, message was a very much a challenge for myself, and may God bless you as you go forth this week.